Hey there, welcome to Dirt Rich, seasonal conversations on food and farming. I'm Katie Federal, the Communications Director for the Sustainable Farming Association. And today we're talking perennial crops in Minnesota and more specifically Kernza. So joining us are four guests who bring a range of perspectives from academic, agricultural, and culinary lenses. And first I'd like to introduce Peter and Ann Schweigel, farmers and SFA members in Western Minnesota. Hi Katie, it's nice to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, so we uh, are organic farmers in Western Minnesota. We farm on about 380 acres of land and we help family with another 400 acres of land that we're transitioning into kind of the family, the next generation of the family farm. Um, And we have about 40 acres of kerns in the ground that we seeded last fall. with the help of and the guidance of the team at the University of Minnesota and the Forever Green Initiative. And we're really excited. It's uh, the stand came up beautifully this year, uh, this spring. And we're excited to kind of watching as we're watching it head out here and put seed on. Yeah, it's been an exciting addition here. Um, we've been farming now for about nine years or so and uh, feeling brave enough to tackle some of these fun, exciting and kind of inspiring new projects and uh, kind of add this into our our wider farming operation. Right on. And bringing a culinary perspective to the table today, we also have Beth Dooley. Beth, why don't you tell us a little bit about your work? Yeah. Hey, Katie. I'm a food writer and cookbook author, and I've been working in the uh, the region for about 45 years. And I've been fascinated with just, you know, where does flavor come from? And the idea that Grains can have a flavor, I think is amazing. And so I'm so heartened by the work that our farmers are doing, that our researchers are doing to create these really sustainable crops. They're actually regenerative crops that um, are not only delicious on the plate, but really good for the land. So I feel that my charge is to, to share this amazing food and its bounty with people that, you know, live across the country because we have such an opportunity to address so many issues through this kind of farming and create really wonderful, delicious meals. So um, the book that I just recently um, wrote called The Perennial Kitchen shares recipes and stories from the fields to the uh, mills and the um, food processors to our plates. So that's, that's kind of been the fun stuff I've been engaged in. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's what it's all about at the end of the day is we get to eat this. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, what are we going to eat for dinner? (laughs) And from the University of Minnesota, we have Jake Youngers. Jake, why don't you tell us a bit about your work? Yeah. Thanks, Katie. My name is Jake Youngers and I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Agronomy and Plant Genetics at the University of Minnesota. And I do research on perennial crops and uh, crop diversity. And I also teach, teach classes in agronomy and agriculture. And I am one of many researchers that work underneath the umbrella program of the Forever Green Initiative. The Forever Green Initiative is really focused on developing new crops and cropping systems that are both economically viable, but as well as environmentally sustainable. And Kernza is one of about... 15 new crops in the pipeline. Um, It's probably the most uh, advanced in terms of commercialization than any of the other crops. And that's the one that um, we're sort of releasing right now. Great. So I I noticed an interview um, 
earlier with Carmen Fernholtz, and he mentioned that he was first approached by the U to about growing Kernza in 2011. And so that made me wonder, like, when did this all start? And how does the, I'm sure there's more lead time on the research end before it gets to the farmer and then well before it would get to the public or for um, folks like Beth. So could you tell me a little bit about, yeah, when this all started and kind of the unfolding of that? Yeah, that's a great place to start. Um, the, it, there's been a lot of interest in perennial grain crops for decades. And this started really in the 80s and in the 90s, uh, late 80s, early 1990s. The Rodale Institute um, started an initiative to identify, find a wild plant that could someday be domesticated or turned into a crop. And they screened hundreds of plants across North America. They looked at all different types of wild plants that could possibly be a grain crop. So they had a list of characteristics. What are they looking for? They're looking for plants that have big seeds, seeds that aren't poisonous that we could eat, eat seeds that actually taste good. That would be helpful. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other characteristics that, that make a crop a crop. Uh, the plant has to hold on to the seed. It can't just let go of the sweet seed. We have to you know, be able to harvest it. And so they did this, uh, this big survey of plants. And at the top of the list that checked the most boxes was intermediate wheatgrass. Uh, so then they started a collection process. They started collecting different intermediate wheatgrass plants across North America to start the first real breeding program to, to breed for a new line that could potentially be a grain crop. That went on for a couple of years. And then they transferred all of their materials to the Land Institute a nonprofit in Salina, Kansas, that is focused on perennial uh, and regenerative agriculture. And the Land Institute took on that breeding program and invested heavily in it in the early 2000s. Uh, so it's really been going on since about 2001 um, with Lee DeHaan as the, the plant breeder there. And Lee DeHaan happens to be a graduate of the University of Minnesota. So he went down to Kansas and started that program. And, uh, the Land Institute was really the, the only institution that was breeding intermediate wheatgrass as a grain crop for almost 15 years. And then it wasn't until about 2010 that um, the University of Minnesota collaborated with the Land Institute and they started sharing germplasm and doing this, this project together, breeding new lines of intermediate wheatgrass. So that's a bit of the backstory. And then once it got here at the University of Minnesota, we also started to expand the research around Kernza. Um, so not just the plant breeding and genetics, we started looking at agronomics and measuring the environmental outcomes. And when we started the agronomic research, that's when we partnered with Carmen uh, and then other on-farm partners as well. Wow. Yeah. That is a long time in the making for, um, yeah, before we start seeing Kernza on like a grocery store shelf. That's incredible. So I think I'll ask just a very broad question then, and what do Minnesota perennial crops and maybe specifically Kernza have to offer? Yeah, Jake, let's start with you. I think perennial crops have a lot to offer for Minnesota farmers and consumers. Uh, there are economics benefits, economical benefits and environmental benefits associated with perennial crops. Uh, starting with the economic benefits, for from a farmer's perspective, there's just less inputs required to manage a perennial crop. Uh, farmers have to go into the field fewer times a year. They don't have to go in to prepare a seed bed, to seed every year. 
And those translate to real savings, both in time and in money for farmers. Uh, many perennial crops require uh, fewer pesticides and herbicides um, and less fertilizer. So again, those are real financial savings from the farmer's perspective. In terms of the environmental benefits, perennial crops have uh, a lot of attributes that um, provide these key ecosystem services. And most of these attributes are related to the roots. So perennial crops, they have deep, dense root systems, which are required for allowing the plant to, to overwinter, especially here in the harsh Minnesota winters. And if we think about our most common perennial crop, that's alfalfa. And that is an excellent crop, perennial crop. It's a legume, so it fixes nitrogen. It puts nitrogen into the soil. And all of that happens in the roots. Uh, the, and the nitrogen fixation occurs in the roots. It builds fertility in the soil. Uh, and now this new perennial crop that we're working on, Kernza, is very different. It's the first perennial grain crop. So it doesn't fix nitrogen and add nitrogen to the soil, it actually uses nitrogen and captures that nitrogen from the soil, from areas of the soil that annual crops just can't get to. That deep, dense root system of perennial grain crops like Kernza can go down into the soil profile that uh, is typically unaccessible to the annuals and grab nitrogen before that nitrogen leaches into the groundwater where it can cause some environmental damage. So we have this opportunity to complement different perennial crops now with, with this new Kernza perennial grain. Uh, and that's what's really exciting. And I think that there's a lot of opportunities and benefits, again, for the growers, but also the consumers. So this sounds like a crop that is uh, really great for water quality um, in Minnesota. And uh, Schweigels, I am curious about your experience with growing Kernza so far. And what you found that it has to offer you and your farm. Yeah, so I think Minnesota perennial crops for us, it just offers us a very powerful tool that can tackle a lot of either the goals and challenges that we have here on our farm. So, I mean, one of, one of the founding principles on our farm, we want, we want to be here and tackling some of these big issues like climate change, like water quality, that that's part of our mission as being being good farmers. And clearly, like Jake was outlining, I mean, these perennial crops have huge potential to to help on that front and and achieve some of those big picture goals on the farm. It also though offers a, a good way for us to tackle some of the very nitty-gritty challenges that we face on a farm, particularly us as organic farmers it really fills a lot of needs for us from a agronomic standpoint. So we can keep those living roots in the soil. Um, we're really hitting a lot of those key principles of soil health by doing that. Um, keeping those living roots going, reducing our tillage, which is huge for us as an organic farm. We're always looking for ways to reduce tillage because we are can be very reliant on that. So it really helps us achieve some of those goals. And I mean, just helps all around, whether it be water infiltration, um, it's a huge tool for us on pest management and weed suppression, breaking up weed cycles and competing with weeds, having that established crop in the ground already growing in the spring um, is great for us. 
um, having those deep roots to break up soil compaction. I mean, the 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 benefits are are too numerous really to name. Um, so it's just a really powerful tool to tackle a lot of those issues. Um, so that's why it's been so exciting for us to kind of get in here on the ground floor and really learn and figure out how best to fit this into our wider farming operation um, because it does have such great potential. I would also jump in, you know, we've been, our farm has been fully transitioned into organic production, but for the years that we were going through transition from conventional production into organic, you know, it's a three-year transition. And I imagine, you know, it was difficult for us to be able to kind of make ends meet. Those are challenging years for any farmer um, while you're farming organically, but have to sell conventionally. Um, You know, we made it work, but I imagine that Kernza would make an excellent transition uh, crop for those folks who are interested in, in transitioning to organic production. Yeah, that's a really exciting dimension of Kernza, I think, and one that I wasn't expecting. I'm curious what you do with the Kernza. Are you milling? Are you grazing? We aspire to uh, having ruminants on our land. Uh, But at this point, as beginning farmers, haven't made that leap of faith yet. So uh, grazing is definitely on the list of things you can certainly do with it. The forage potential is definitely there for for animals. Um, We're going to to harvest it here in July. Uh, Everything goes to plan. And uh, I've been working pretty closely with a group of farmers here in Minnesota and Wisconsin who are Kernza growers, who are kind of the the first generation commercial Kernza growers here. And we are forming a cooperative to to sell and market our grain so that uh, buyers um, across the upper Midwest can have a consistent product, um, a reliable, consistent source for Kernza. And hopefully, you know, we as farmers can then hopefully uh, maintain a, a fair price for our, for our labor, for putting kerns in the ground. And yeah, it's exciting. Um, so we're the Perennial Promise Growers Cooperative. And we're just, uh, <laughs> if I could put a quick plug in for our field day coming up here in at Carmen Fernholtz's farm in Madison, Minnesota on July 8th, we're going to be signing our articles of incorporation and uh, farmers can join as members of the cooperative that day um, as charter members. So it's really, it's terribly exciting right now, but uh, yeah, we're, we're considering, we're continuing to kind of market together in the spirit of cooperation um, to move the grain crop and tell our story as farmers. Oh, that's wonderful. How many uh, members of the co-op are starting out here? We're a very small but plucky group of uh, (laughs) probably at this point between 25 and 50 growers. Oh, wonderful. Jake, has grazing Kernza been much part of your research since uh, Schweigels haven't done that yet? Yeah, definitely. We think that grazing can be sort of a safety net for farmers who are interested in adopting Kernza, um, but maybe don't have immediate access to the markets or are unsure about selling the grain. Uh, so that that forage, the value of that forage is um, significant and like I said, as like a safe can act as a safety net. So there's really four economic or revenue streams for a Kernza stand in a given year. 
the, the Kernza can be grazed early in the spring before it heads out. Uh, and there's really lush, high quality forage available um, at that time. And it can be harvested or directly grazed. Uh, then, then that's probably about early May would be like you, the, the last, the, the latest you could graze in the spring would be probably first or second week of May. Then the seed heads come up, uh, plant flowers, seeds are ready to harvest in late July. That grain is then harvestable and that's marketable. Then there's a whole lot of straw left and the straw is higher quality than wheat straw. It's still pretty green and it has relatively decent nutritive value compared to like, you know, your annual small grain straw. So it, it could be mixed into rations. Uh, it could be used as bedding. There's, there's value there. Uh, then the plant will continue to grow throughout the fall until the snow flies. And there's an opportunity to take a late fall harvest, forage harvest or grazing um, anytime in like October. And at that time, there's uh, more forage than the spring, but it's a little bit lower quality. It's kind of like medium quality. So there's four different revenue streams uh, possible from the Kernza stand. And, it, and it's tricky to manage that and to, to make all those work out. The windows of timing can be delicate with those grazings. And, and if you do it too late in the spring, you're going to graze off the seed heads and there's not going to be any grain. So it can be tricky, but it's possible. Um, and we've learned a lot about the timing of grazing, when profits would be maximized in that system. Uh, even though if you would do the high intensity grazing spring and fall, there might be some decreases in grain yield in subsequent years. Um, but the increase in profits up front might make up for that. Uh, we've been looking at how we can take aging Kernza stands that were once just managed as grain, turn those into a forage crop, uh, actually do multiple grazings and hangs throughout the growing season. So there's potential to keep that stand uh, in the ground, maintain that perenniality even after grain yields kind of decline and it's not so profitable just as a grain crop. Wow. Yeah. And what stands out to me about that, um, Peter was mentioning um, the principles of soil health and that pulls in that fifth one of integrating livestock um, on the land and having that opportunity. And Peter and Anna was wondering, you know, as you were talking about all of the different benefits with uh, water infiltration and reduced tillage, that sounds like a lot of saved time and labor too. Is that what you're finding? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We planted it last fall and you don't touch it until this until the midsummer when you're harvesting. I mean, it's it's a huge, but I, I will say realistically, it's less like physical labor, but it's been a lot of mental labor as we are kind of learning how to grow this crop and how to best uh, handle it and what the best management practices are. So it has been certainly a learning curve for us, you know, as we're, as we're going through our first year growing. Yes. Yeah. And Beth, I want to pull you in here too. Now, uh, what do you see as Minnesota perennial crops and Carinza having to offer through the lens of your work? Well, first of all, you know, because I'm a cook, I'm interested in flavor and um, Carinza is delicious. You know, it's really good both as a whole grain in a pilaf, and it's also fabulous as a flower. It has almost sort of a graham-like sort of rye quality to it. There's there are notes of nuts and a little bit of grass. 
It's super interesting. Again, it, it tastes a little bit like ram flour. It reminds me of the Irish flowers that I encountered when I traveled through Ireland. It makes a wonderful soda bread. One thing people should know, though, is because the gluten content is different than wheat, um, it doesn't perform the way wheat does in risen loaves. And, um, you know, when you introduce a, a yeast to it or you make a sourdough with it, um, you're going to end up with a a denser um, bread, almost like a rye bread, a hundred percent rye bread, which is delicious, but you just need to know that, you know, that's what's going to happen. Um, but that said, if you're going to make a sourdough, make the starter um, with wheat, but then add kernza to it because it's that, that sourdough, that, that um, bacteria loves loves Kernza. And so you get a much lighter loaf if you're going to make a loaf that's say um, 60% wheat and maybe 40% Kernza or 70% wheat, 30% Kernza, you get a fabulous loaf if you do it that way. Um, and also feed the sourdough with uh, the Kernza flour. It's really interesting. And what I really love is um, educating consumers who are really concerned about climate change and water quality and letting them know that they can engage in the work that's being done on our land that's supported by our public institutions like the University of Minnesota, which has been really devoted to trying to make our lives better. Um, and I think, you know, remember that cooks are voters, too, and we need to support the legislature in, you know, keeping this kind of work going in a significant way, because the stuff that Jake is doing, the stuff that Don Wise is doing on the land really has an opportunity to address the key concerns of our time, which are climate change and water quality. And these crops are one of the solutions to that. So I think my role is to is to excite people about how delicious these foods are, but then also help them understand that this work is really worth supporting if we're going to address some of our really hugest, you know, sort of issues in years to come. And that's why I love the idea of perennial because it works metaphorically, not just with the idea that a crop is going to come back year after year, but that I'll have something to leave for my kids. Right. I'm not going to burn up our planet using these fossil fuels when we can harness the the um, energy of the sun, which is something that, um, you know, Wes Jackson talks a lot about. He was one of the you know, he's a he partnered with Don Wise in a lot of this work um, that, you know, we have an opportunity to really work more with nature than against it. And that's what this is about. And I think it's, it's terribly exciting to me. So, and I know a lot, I mean, you know, whenever I talk about this to, um, to cooks or give cooking classes, people are just fascinated because they had no idea. They, they think sometimes that, you know, bread comes from a package. It doesn't, <laughs> you know? So anyway, and I try not to get too political. I try not to get too preachy, but it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> and how exciting to you that it's I, I mean so many times with a lot of different crops it's like how you grow it but this is a crop that kind of by nature um does the work that we're looking to have happen on the land too yeah and I think you know I think in terms of the consumer mindset I love what Carmen and Jake have said and this is the work of this cooperative you know movement the current you know the currents of co-op or whatever you want to call it is that this is not a commodity crop. We need to understand that food should not become a commodity. It's valuable. 
It's valuable in so many ways. And commodities are a race to the bottom. So, you know, the they're premised on the idea, the more you grow, the cheaper it gets. And, and that is sort of a philosophical flip. And if we can get people, cooks especially, to understand that, we have the potential to really reverse, again, a lot of the issues created by industrial farming. I'll just hop in quick. I uh, I am also a fan of tasty food, and I've been I've been experimenting with kerns of flour in my baked goods. And I made a strawberry cake yesterday where I swapped in about thirty percent of my flour and with kerns of flour. And it you're totally right about the flavor. I mean, it's got this kind of nutty sweetness to it that complemented the sweet tart of the strawberries so well. I was just so, and then with like some fresh whipped cream on top was, you know, you can never go wrong with that. It was, uh, it was delicious. I was all over my social media feeds. Oh. Like, you guys should try this. It's so good. <laughs> wow. I should have known that this episode was going to make me really hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I want that recipe. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's the other, one of the other reasons why we farm and farm the way we do, like, we like good food and it's yeah. it's exciting to see kind of the new opportunities in the food arena that that this product can get and it's exciting to be providing a food ingredient to the market that's new um and kind of exciting from a culinary perspective as well as from the environmental perspective as well yeah beth we had to do a couple we have two young kids and we had to do throughout the course of the year a couple quarantines with with covid and i I revived my sourdough starter several times <laughs> over the past year. Um, his name is Claude. And he, and I didn't realize that about Kernza, the way that it behaves. Because I made a couple sour Kernza sourdoughs, and they were super tight. And they didn't, uh, and I didn't realize that. I should have, should have known a little bit better. But uh, yeah, they were, they were still delicious. They tasted like a honey hole wheat loaf. It's that same kind of nutty, uh, sweet flavor that was so good in it. Yeah, there is so much excitement in this little virtual Zoom room now around Kernza. And I am curious how you all see um, what kind of response you're getting. Because I, I mean, I've noticed I saw like Beth Dooley did a um, a food demo video with Yu Bang. And I saw like a couple different TV spots with the U on some local news. I know like Moses was doing Kernza field days over COVID. and um, the Minnesota Farmers Union has the BLT with Birchwood at the Minnesota State Fair. So, I mean, all of these intros that people can have to Kernza that have been seemingly increasing <laughs> within the last year, at least from my perspective. So I'm going to put in a plug for Minnesota Cooks at the State Fair this year because um, I'm going to be on stage uh, demoing a, a Kernza pilaf, but I'll be there with Adam from Vertical Malt and Sandy and Jay from Bang Brewing. So we'll talk about these incredible, I mean, there's so many different uses for Kernza. It's not limited to flour and, and whole grain. I mean, it can be, and I know that um, Tattersall is uh, distilling it into a, um, a whiskey, so, you know, it can be a whiskey, it can be a beer, it, it's great for malting. I would love to get my hands on some of the malted grain because I think that could be delicious, you know, in a, in a cake or in a, a bread or something. I mean, there are all kinds of different ways this can go in both the distillery, the brewery, the um, 
you know, the kitchen. And then I'm also working with Sue Marshall, who's using uh, Kernza spent grain um, from Bang Brewing. And we'll see what we can do with that. Maybe cookies or shortbread or something. I don't know. I haven't really played with that much with it that much, but there's opportunities for the spent grain as well. So it's got these, and then, you know, and then Jake was just talking about forage. I mean, there's just, there are all these different uses for it, which I find terribly exciting. Yeah. That's been our, our experience, you know, working with the growers cooperative around marketing the Kearns is that they're just, there are the uh, opportunities are kind of endless right now. Sky's the limit with opportunities to kind of market the grain, whether you're going into even just like consumer, big consumer packaged good companies are looking at it as a, as an opportunity to increase their, uh, or decrease their environmental footprint as the case may be. Um, but also, you know, down to mom and pop owned bakeries who want to use it. And, and also in schools, uh, farm to farm to school schools or schools, kitchens that are using that program, are starting to experiment with putting Kernza in with their uh, their school program, which I think is really exciting. Um, the possibilities are are pretty much you know endless at this point of where we could go with it. Yeah, well, looking ahead, uh, Jake, what's what's the future of of this work at the U? Yeah, the in the Forever Green Initiative, I'll mention that there are a group of food scientists who are looking at the chemistry of the grain as you know, how, how it functions as an ingredient. And uh, that information, you know, is being translated to people like Beth and people actually use the, the grain. Um, but one thing that we're working on and thinking about is how do we develop Kernza in a way that, so that it performs better in different types of foods. So we talk about plant breeding and increasing yields. That's one objective for sure. Increased yields. That's what makes it profitable and makes it marketable. But there are these other attributes that we're all interested in, and that is quality, taste, uh, how it performs. So that is one direction um, of research in the future. And then, of course, there's the increasing yields. We, we need to do that to make sure that this is competitive with the other crops that are out in the market for farmers to grow. It uh, also makes it affordable for consumers to purchase. So that is something that we're concerned about is we want to make sure that um, that, yeah, this crop can make it out in the marketplace and that the average person can afford to buy products. And to do that, you need to increase yields. Uh, another aspect of the research is to measure those environmental quality parameters, measure the environmental outcomes. Um, when we do that, when we can put numbers on that, that's when the big end users can start to market those environmental benefits. Um, so there, we're thinking of this model of if consumers are really interested in paying a little bit more for a product that improves the environment, we need to know how much it actually improves the environment that to, to make that the economics of that work out. So we're continuously measuring how much nitrogen uptake occurs in a Kernza field, how much of the reduction in leaching occurs when you include Kernza into a rotation, how much carbon is being stored in the soil and pulled from the atmosphere. Uh, and then there's a bunch of other environmental benefits that we, we really haven't even started measuring yet. Um, one important one is wildlife habitat. We know that this can provide habitat for ground nesting songbirds. Uh, what's the value of that? There are a lot of consumers who, who, who do value 
habitat and wildlife and biodiversity. Um, so that's just one more aspect of Kernza that um, you know could be highlighted and and potentially used in some sort of like marketing for environmental benefits. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Schweigels and Beth, what, what do you what are you focused on going forward here? I just want people to be aware of it you know, to, to play with it in the kitchen, to enjoy working with it, to under, but then to also understand the backstory and to understand what it takes to get a crop like this to the marketplace. I don't think, you know, we're not making toothpaste, right? This is a living plant. This is part of our ecosystem. And I think that needs to be communicated in our schools. It needs to be communicated in our science programs. It needs to be communicated at the college level. It needs to be communicated through our co-ops and grocery stores so that people really understand the value of this work and that they also understand that there, there are practices that are being underwritten by federal policies that work against introducing more of these crops on the land. And again, I don't want to get too political, but I do think it's important that consumers are aware of that. And there was a wonderful article in the New Yorker back during the election season where Foxtail Farm down in Iowa brought all of the politicians that were running for president down through the farm. It's a regenerative farm to talk about the practices and talk about how you can grow amazing food without destroying the environment, basically. And that's that's the message that also needs to communicate, be communicated to voters as well, so that there is legislative support for, for this kind of work on the land, so that these crops can produce food that then becomes competitive with foods that are created by ingredients that come from this intensive summer monocrop rotation. So that's that's part, it's a complicated message, but I think it begins with taste. It begins with engaging people because you cannot convince people until they engage with it physically and they understand what it tastes like, how it performs, and then they'll begin to appreciate why it's important. You can't save what you don't love, right? Anyway, that's that's kind of, that's that's sort of what I feel my role in all this is. Yeah, I think for me, and what I'm excited about going into the future here with Kernza, I think I'm excited to just continue to learn on the agronomy side of things, figure out how better to grow the crop and how we can really fit that into our wider farming system. So just excited to continue to work with the folks at the University of Minnesota and the Forever Green Initiative, um, continue to experiment and and really find ways to fully develop the potential of the crop in our farming systems. As well as being excited, I think about the future of the work that the Growers Cooperative is doing, excited to see the growth and the marketing and market opportunities in the future so that we can really expand this um, to be a larger part of our farm operation. Yeah, you, you kind of took what I was thinking of, Peter, when, I'm excited as a farmer to continue to tell our story um, and continue to bring consumers closer uh, to the beginning of the, that value chain, um, kind of shorten that that value chain. So bringing consumers closer to the farm is, I think Carinza has a great opportunity, especially as a grain farmer, um, you know, we're dealing in, in, in an extremely long value chain, right? From what I grow 
and my other crops to the end consumer. Uh, Kernza brings that consumer much closer back to me, which I think is really exciting for me because I really love talking about my farm and the way I farm and the way I choose to kind of run my business is exciting. And I think people engage really well with that because, you know, we went from many people being farmers to lots of people being related to farmers a couple generations ago. So bringing people back closer to the land is really exciting for me. Yeah. I love that you highlighted, yeah, the shortening of that value chain and bringing consumers uh, more in touch with their food. Cause that's, that's what was striking me so much about, um, this conversation of how collaborative it is across different disciplines. And um, that's something I've always appreciated uh, as I've gotten to know more farmers and food folks is just like the curiosity and like the, the candy spirit and the creativity um, coming together around food. And it's, it's really neat to hear about how that is with Kernza in particular, and I'm sure many other crops too can be, um, yeah. So widely demonstrated to people who eat food, which is all of us. This is really exciting. Uh, does anyone have any parting thoughts? I, this has been a great conversation. I'd just like to build on that um, ocean of collaboration and relationship building and across all these different partnerships. And I think Kearns is providing an opportunity to really reassess the way that crops are developed and created. And, uh, you know, the last major crop that came out of uh, institutions, mostly academia, was soybean back in the early 70s. So we haven't seen a really new large-scale crop being introduced to North America since then. And what we're doing here with Kernza is quite a bit different than how it happened with soybean. And I'm really excited to see how this is playing out. And uh, it, it you know brings me a lot of satisfaction and gratification to be working uh, you know, with Peter and Ann and Beth and, and everybody, Carmen Fernolds, everybody in this system. And I, I really think it can be a model for future perennial crop development, future crop development in general, hopefully, um, to, to show, to link the consumers to the producers, to the researchers, show this uh, system of crop development and how it benefits everyone along the, the supply chain and the, the consumers and the environment. So that's what's really exciting for me is the relationships and the partnerships with uh, all the different stakeholders and players in this system. Absolutely. So if, if people want to get in touch with you or learn more about um, the work that's happening here, where, where can they do that? There's a lot of different places uh, to check check out and to learn about Kernza. Uh, the Land Institute has a website, kernza.org. That's a great landing page. You can learn a lot about Kernza in general there and see what's going on across the country in terms of its development. Um, the University of Minnesota uh, leads the Kernza CAP project, which is a national scale uh, R&D project funded by USDA NEFA um, that has many different institutions and nonprofits partnering with it. There's a specific link to the uh, website for that project on Kernza.org. Uh, then there's the Forever Green Initiative website through the University of Minnesota. There's a page on Kernza there. Uh, and then I'm sure others have some other ideas of where to learn about Kernza. Yeah, if, the, if you just Google my name, my website will pop up and there's information. Um, we also just produced a video that um, talks about all the benefits of Kernza in the kitchen with um, one of the 
big millers um, at uh, the food building. Bakersfield Flour and Bread, they produce the currents of focaccia for the state fair. And um, uh, Aaron Reeser at Greenland's Blue Waters. Um, also in that video are Karen Fulyard that talks about the importance of this work in general. So this is more about how this work plays out on the plate and what's happening with it. But that video will be accessible on my website as well as the websites that, um, that Jake just mentioned. And that also has information about the book, <laughs> the name of Shameless Self-Promotion. Yeah, buy the book. <laughs> well, thank you all so much for taking the time today. I know this is a busy, busy time of year for, well, it's always a busy time of year. So <laughs> there's that. But yeah, thank you. And thanks for sharing your knowledge. And I'm really excited to see where, where Kernza takes us next, where you all take us next. This was wonderful, you guys. And I'll see you all at the Kernza for, uh, Field Day. That sounds great. We'll see you then. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Dirt Rich is produced by the Sustainable Farming Association. We believe that agriculture done well heals. For more resources or to tap into the farmer to farmer network, visit us at sfa-mn.org.